When the choice seems to be to tear down the church or build a wall around it, we aim to walk the narrow road of nuance through the wilderness between the warring factions and try to figure out what it means to love God and people well. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Unbetween podcast. We start out this episode, like many others, with this somewhat existential crisis of what are we going to talk about? Because we've hit record, and we've got to talk about something, but we've got nothing. And actually, a lot of times what it is, we've been talking for a while, and it's, hey, you know what? We can't use any of this, so let's get to something we can use. But I do feel like we land in meaningful conversation about the pursuit of comfort. And we talk about needs versus want. And, uh, you know, I, I could do this, but should I? And, and all sorts of things that maybe seem trivial and unimportant. But as true followers of Christ, it matters. So that's enough about that. Hopefully this will be meaningful to you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So what are we talking about? I don't know. We've talked about a lot, but what, yeah. are, what are we actually going to use any of it? <laughs> put on air. Did you have you have you noticed anything this week or last couple of weeks that you've that you've thought? Hmm, I've reacted to that. I think sometimes I try not to. Hmm. to pay attention like someone told me something the other day that happened and I'm like what are you talking about they're like oh it's been all over the news and I'm like yeah sometimes I try and just keep away from that um, this is one extreme or the other but yeah I, I don't know if there's been anything that stood out like in that way I, I think one of the things that's been on my mind lately is kind of the comfort thing we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier just how, how much has been designed around pursuing comfort and and that be the gauge of how we do things. Like, how can we be more comfortable in life? How can we uh, find ways to make things easier? And it seems like more and more I'm realizing that's the push for so many things. And not, not that that's bad, but I, I think it's weighed on me heavily that that keeps us from doing a lot of what we should. Hmm. This is going to sound like a dumb question. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, wh- why do you think that we want things to be easy? What are we trying to get to, I guess, by things being easy? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I, th- I think I think it's just this pursuit of, I mean, some of it's money, right? You find an easier way to, to do something, people are going to pay you for it or a way to make something more convenient. So I think there's a level there. Um, I think there's a desire to make to make life easy as well to um, and, and maybe some of it's even a noble mindset like oh my kid's not going to have to deal with the, the things I did mm-hmm. you know but I think part of what has pushed me to and I, I know I probably bugged you the other day sending you those screenshots of this this book I'm reading called No Place for Truth um, or Whatever Happened to Evangel- Evangelical Theology it's a long title it's by a guy named David Wells and, and he wrote it 30 years ago but he, even then he's talking about all the ways that we've instead of pursuing values, pursued ease of life. Or maybe that's the value we've pursued instead of these more noble things or things we're supposed to pursue as believers and, and how it's just slowly but steadily permeated every part of our culture. Random things I've never thought about. Like he even brings up used to way back, uh, you know, the church was the meeting place for the community. Yeah. You need to discuss an issue, you came to the church. The church was where kids learned. The pastors, in many cases, used to be the teachers. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, things changed, and, and he kind of links it to 
the first town hall, or at least in this community, he looks at this town hall that they voted on and were pretty split, but ultimately they voted to build this town hall across from the church. Well, then guess what started happening? Those meetings didn't happen at the church. They happened at town hall. Well, then eventually school came out of the church and started happening there. And pastors were not the teachers anymore. And so even Sunday school, he talks about, was born out of this desire to try and have some influence that they lost. Mm-hmm. Because in, in even, even then you slowly start to see education change from reading, writing, and arithmetic to all these other things and social causes. And it's just interesting to think about and how he 30 years ago was writing how this was a problem. And, and reading it today, it's like, Dude, are, are you sure you weren't <laughs> writing this like yesterday? Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting. And, and you know, not that all the changes are bad. You know, I'm not an anti-change by person by any means. In fact, my wife yesterday, we were talking with my in-laws at lunch, and she said, uh, we were talking about some stuff I'm working on. She was like, it's funny because you, she said, I feel like you look for change in many ways. Like you don't want things to just stay the same, be it with, you know, community, be it with your work, be it with things you've got going on, you're you're looking for ways to change it. And she said, for me, it's like, I'd rather just sit back and keep it all the same if possible. <laughs> and and she's like, you just, you, you want change. I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily want it. I just know it's inevitable. So how do you deal with it in a way that is effective mm-hmm. or makes the most out of it? But I don't know. Um, I just rambled a lot about that. But I've been reading that and, and it's just been <laughs> a little enlightening to see all the ways that there have been these changes that have slowly gotten us to where where we are today. Well, it's interesting in that there's definitely a parallel in our current cultural moment. I've been using that phrase a lot lately. Because while it's it's not a one-for-one one kind of thing, yeah. but in the same way that the church and the family were losing influence in that time period, <laughs> the 90s, <laughs> uh, insofar as like you described all those things that moved outside of the four walls of the mm-hmm. church or those things that started moving outside of the home and into the schools, like the expectation that those values were going to come from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I think we're seeing a similar thing now is that the church is having to reckon with another layer of lost influence. And I don't think it's all a bad thing because part of what it makes you do is it makes you take stock of what is actually important in the way that you're doing things. And do we need them all in these four walls to have influence over them? Maybe we were depending on that too much or, um, you know, am I still, (laughs) am I going to try and be a good parent because I have to be and nobody else is going to teach my kids or, you know, I can step back and let the school system and the internet and the college and whatever shape my kids. We've talked Mm -hmm. about this before, or it's like, even though it's easier for me to check out, am I still going to stay engaged and not control those things, but, but, you know, parent and shepherd around those things. And, uh, or, I used to hear this as a kid, like, are you still going to be a Christian when it's not cool to be one? Or or <laughs> taking it a step further, like, are you still going to be a Christian when, it re- when it's going to cost you your yeah. life? We may have to pause for a second because my dog is yelling at the uh, trash, <laughs> at the trash guys. That's what I thought I wanted to be when, when I grew up was a trashman. Yeah, that right? I'd see the guy that got to ride on the back, you know, before they had the little claw that came and picked it up, before we made that more comfortable. 
there was a guy that that wrote on the back and pushed the red button to make everything work once he dumped the truck. And I thought that was the coolest freaking thing I'd ever seen, getting to ride on the back of that trash truck and push the red button. Is there a part of you that wishes that you'd done that? Maybe. (laughs) At least once, you know. Things Things would be simpler in some ways. They took that dream away from me before I even got to do it, though, when they changed the trash truck designs. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to go work on a trash truck, you can. All right. Maybe talk to Hannah first. Hey, hold on. I'm going to apply real quick. I'll bet they're hiring. (laughs) Everywhere is hiring. I'll bet you'll do fine. No. They seem to have calmed down a bit. Um, Talking about comfort is I think there's also kind of a reverse way that it works, too, in that in America, anyway, the church has at various periods been comfortable with our level of influence and power. And in, in retrospect, a lot of the kind of ink I saw spilled when I was younger over the encroaching influence of the world or the loss of influence of the church, really what they were talking about is they were losing their cultural power, Mm -hmm. not the power of the gospel, not the power of the Holy Spirit, but like our influence is going away and our ability to control or direct events on like from the top down is going away. And some of that is bad, I think, but also you could say that some of that is an idol that needs to die. And I think the current cult, political culture war in America is over that kind of influence, not the kind of influence that a follower of Christ has in the lives of the people around him or her, but who is going to call the shots, you know, who's, which, which civil religion is going to win. And yeah. that a lot of the uncertainty and kind of anger that you're seeing both from the right and the left is over these kinds of questions of like, which version of Christianity is going to, be the one that wields the influence. Yeah, it's become very politicized. Mm-hmm. And things like that strike me as odd. Not not that I've got it figured out, so don't let me give that impression, but it strikes me as odd when we know we're not supposed to look to people to be the answer. Mm-hmm. But we continue to do that. I've seen a lot of versions of this lately. Things like, are you a Democrat or are you an American? Or are you a Republican or are you a Christian? Stuff like yeah. that. And we're, we don't want to devolve into a political conversation, but it, it, it's that thing of like, um, I think I think it's fear over lost influence, fear over lost power. If they get in here, then da 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 da. And the reality is, the church has a power that nobody could ever take yeah. away. They can only co-opt it, which they most certainly have done. I'm trying to figure out a, a way to say this and not jump back to our last conversation, even. But so much of it's just a a confusion of identity. I mean, it, mm-hmm. to to identify in those ways rather than just saying, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, like I, I think is a yeah. problem. And I, I just had a thought too, because you, you, you started this conversation talking about the pursuit of comfort. I actually think that that's what it is, because if the tribe that we're a part of loses influence, we get more uncomfortable. And that like, if our, if our theology, philosophy, whatever, is the law of the land, then we can kind of sit back and bask knowing that, well, the law is going to take care of the people who don't agree with me and I'm on the right side. And so I, I, I'm sitting easy street. I'm not doing anything wrong. My cause is being championed and celebrated. Whereas if you're on the other side of that divide, you have the opposite reaction and things are very uncomfortable for you. Yeah. Well, and, and I've heard, and, and I don't, I want to say necessarily completely, completely disagree with this statement. But I do at the same time. But you've probably heard it, too. You know, well, it's hard to be a follower of Christ in this day and age. That's always been yeah. true, though. I mean, it's, it's never necessarily been 
easy. Now I would say there is pretty clear direction given. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't stink and do it, right? Yeah. It's that thing of like, if your Christianity is easy, you should probably reassess Mm -hmm. it. Or um, in one of Frank Herbert's books, he, he wrote Dune, which some of you may have heard of. He, one of the characters says, what is your religion if it costs you nothing and carries no risk? Yeah. And, and so you've got, man, that's, a, that's such a good, good way to look at it because you've got, in this pursuit of comfort, all we're doing is trying to minimize risk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen when following Christ is basically, following Christ well should open yourself up to all potential risks. I, I heard the other day, I heard I was talking with a friend and, and, and it just made me think we were, we were discussing, you know, the fact that God might call you to do something. And he said, well, yeah, you know, if God calls me to do something, I'll say yes. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, great. Well, then, then I got to thinking, you know, surrendering isn't saying, well, when God calls me to do it, I'll say yes. Surrendering is saying yes to whatever it is that he's going to call you to <laughs> and do. And then finding out what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's surrender. Yeah. Like if yeah. we have this caveat or this kind of you know, ability to say, oh, let me see, and then I'll decide. That's that's not surrender. Hmm. That's not giving God control. Giving God control is saying, yes, whatever it is you call me to do, I'm here, and I'm willing to do it. Here I am, send me, right? And then when he does, you know, following in obedience, because if you're surrendered, you don't have a choice. Yeah. Well, and and uh, I probably quibble with the word control. I know what you're saying. But, but the other thing is that you can trust that God has your good in mind. Yeah. You know, and he knows the things that you, there's a lot of scripture about this, about like, if you'll seek first God and his righteousness, he'll give you, this other stuff will be added, the desires of your heart. He's going to take care of those. And your heavenly father knows that you need these things is another way that it puts it. I forget where that is. Beg your pardon. Um, But that you can, and gosh, this is so hard to do, but you can surrender knowing you are safe in that God has you in his hand. There's a line in an As Cities Burn song. But what good is the whole world when I promise no tomorrow? I only promise your tomorrows will never take you past my palm. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think there's confusion. I don't even know if it's confusion. I think we get it wrong sometimes when we look at what what scripture may mean when it says that I will work things you know out for your good. Or uh, I think sometimes we get that wrong. Even the desires of your heart. Well, that doesn't mean... People start getting into the prosperity gospel there, and that's that's not oh, yeah. what that yeah. is. No, because the desires of a heart formed after the heart of Christ are going to look very different than so very different. than what's good for me and what I want and what makes me comfortable. But yeah, that that's one of my favorite scriptures, partially because it does get like chopped up and used for different things. But a, yeah. co- a couple things, and we've talked about this before. The first part of that scripture is two words: God works, not. Mm-hmm. God zaps things and everything is great and okay, but that God, who built the world on wisdom, as Proverbs teaches us, that God's spirit is at work bringing things about. He doesn't just, and he could, he doesn't just hit a button and make everything's fine. He gets his hands dirty and enters into our situations and has relationship with us. And there's a lot of risk in that. And also that he doesn't work it together for your good, singular. All the yous in the New Testament are plural. <laughs> yeah, you know, yep. it's not written to you, the individual. It's written to us, the church. And that yep. interpretation changed. Like he he doesn't work everything out so that your personal desires are are made true, or that so your particular situation 
works out the way you think it would, but that he builds his people up together and brings about good for us, yeah. not for you. And that's talking about the identity thing. Your identity is not just a singular you. It's a you that's a part of an us. Mm-hmm. And that, that is what the scriptures are all about. God forming a people who look like him. Yeah. Romans 8, 28 is an example of that. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, mm-hmm. who have been called according to his purpose. And and even that's another clear delineation, who have been called according for his purpose. We're not here in this world for our glory, right? Everything we do should show God's glory, God's power, God's majesty. And I think when you're comfortable, you're less likely to put yourself in positions that require a show of God's power. Right. Again, we're trying to minimize the risk. Yeah. And God's power is often shown when risks are overcome. And let's let's make a distinction between comfortable and cared for. Okay. Because those are different. Because part of what we're like, because there's, it's easy to swing a pendulum at these kinds of conversations and say, so what? We're all supposed to be monks and not have anything nice. I don't think that's the point of it because creation is full of wonderful things that God designed for us to notice and enjoy and respond to. The problem mm-hmm. is that we end up much the same as the Israelites. We worship the creation rather than the creator. And you, you've probably heard the phrase like, I'll show you what you worship if you show me how you spend your time and how you spend your money yeah. or whatever. And it's the same kind of thing. Is most of your money about creating comfort for yourself or is it about doing whatever God wants you to do with it? And some of that may be investing in a home where your family can be safe and your family can have things that they can enjoy. But it also may be that investing in a home where you can let other people stay or constantly invite other people to enjoy or whatever. Or, you know, maybe you drive a terrible beater car so that you can be freed up at any time to do exactly what God wants you to do. Or maybe you have a really nice car to use as a tool to serve other people. It's, it's that thing. We've had this conversation before. Am I patterning my life and my resources and my pursuit of things and how I spend my time after caring for people, including myself, or making myself and other people comfortable and at ease? And they are not mm-hmm. the same thing. One, one is, a, is a selfish pursuit of gratification, and the other is is like a strategic it, it's garden of eden thing it's cultivation right i think and i think the call is to cultivate yeah yeah i think so i mean and i think there's even a differentiation that has to be made and i have this conversation with with a lot of people i mean it's like oh well is it not good to pay off your house earlier to invest in these things and to invest in your future well sure it is but there's a clear difference in the person who makes that their all and that the thing they're striving for and the person who makes serving others what they're mm-hmm. striving for or serving God, obviously, as, as the imperative there. But but there, there's a difference in someone who is just working to get their house paid off early so they can retire early, so they can not work, so they can whatever. And the person who is, you know, striving to shape their life after God, mm-hmm. if I may make that that statement. <laughs> Yeah. Because I I think that's good. Yes. Who doesn't want to pay off a house early, right? I mean, a wise advice to to put more toward a monthly payment to get it paid off early. But is that like your your end goal here or is that part of what's helping you accomplish serving Christ and whatever? Yeah. Or like, do you need (laughs) whatever? No, I don't want to have the luxury car conversation. Let's leave that off the table. Um, I'm going to edit that part out. I mean... (laughs) Why not have it? it? Just, Why not have it? You okay, know, it's it's a different. It's I mean, do you do you need an eighty thousand dollar vehicle? No, maybe. 
I mean, <laughs> depends on what you're using it for, uh, you know? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, but the the question is, like, ultimately, I'm not freaking accountable for what you drive. Who cares? Right. But uh, it's it's for myself and for everybody, the question of, like, why, what, who is this serving? Is this serving me and my selfish purposes? Or have I thought about, one, what I can use this tool, because everything that we have is a tool, what can I use this for? What would God have me do with this? I think if you have grown up in church, there's a clear delineation in the way that we think and talk about things of like, this is holy stuff over here, and then there's everything else. Ain't no such thing, y'all. Everything is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Everything is holy in that God has given it to you. To use for him. Exactly. And there's a particular response that he wants from you. So let's leave this sacred secular conversation. Everything is under the same sun. Anyway, there's there's this thing of like, if you want to do something for God, you got to do something churchy or Christiany. So like serving God with your car means putting a Jesus fish sticker on it mm-hmm. or driving people to church. Maybe it is those things, but maybe it also means that like, have I thought about, maybe I don't get the sports car. Maybe I get the SUV so that I can carry my kids stuff, you know? Yeah. Or maybe I don't buy the massive truck because I don't ever haul anything just because it looks cool. And instead, I get something that makes some daggum sense for my family. Yeah. It's that it's that thing. Or maybe you need a house with four bedrooms because you have four children, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or whatever it is. Um, but yeah. But are you asking those questions? Maybe, you know. Maybe you, you need a house with 10 acres because you want to keep horses because you want anybody who ever wants to ride a horse to be able to ride one for free and not have to stable them. That's different than I just want 10 acres so I can look at it. Yeah. And maybe even that's okay. But are we asking ourselves these questions about, am I pursuing comfort or am I pursuing Christ? Yeah, the, there's so much just in the intention there, I, I think. And, and that's why it can be tough. And, and I think need and want. There's a clear differentiation, right? Does anybody need, the, to your point, the $80,000 SUV? Uh, probably not. Maybe someone has a really good reason. I, I'd love to hear it because, I, you know, one day I'd love to have a Toyota Land Cruiser. And, um, you know, so if I can find that need justification, but in, in all honesty, like need and want is very different and then can or could and should is very different. Yeah. Because I hear that a lot even. Well, I can financially. So, you know, I don't think God cares as long as it's not a bad financial decision. Uh, okay. But should you just because you can, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's even the, there's so many ways to have that argument. Even even the freedom we have in Christ. Okay. I can do this. Should I? Yeah. Um, is that really a wise decision for me? And and I think that's tough. And, and I say that from a standpoint where I, I look around me and, and there's probably, I have more than I necessarily need in many ways. So it's not an indictment on anyone, but, you know, nor am I qualified to even give that. But it's easy to elevate those things uh, as something that's the object of our pursuit rather than Christ. And and then to turn around after we've got them and try and justify the reason we have it. Mm, Yeah. I think that more often than not happens. Yeah. Maybe not. But I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. I, I know there's there's times where we say something. It's like, oh, I don't want to go down that trail because, man, all the things I'm going to hear. What? Sometimes I think it's worth jumping down it, you know, head first. Because I think some of the prosperity gospel and things like that are hard to ignore. And I think it's born out of Christians becoming very materialistic. When I think as followers of Christ, that should be, those should be some of the last things on our mind. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying go out and buy a, 
a beater car that's going to break down and isn't a good investment and maybe not safe for your family, but it's, it's just tough. It's an attractive idea that you can have everything that you've ever wanted and that God is okay with that. Mm -hmm. Or not just okay, but like, this is the measure of your spirituality is whether or not God is giving you what you want. Yeah, that's dangerous. And there's a second leg of this conversation, I think, because a lot of what we've been talking about is, one, the kind of overall perception of the church and culture and our response to losing our influence and what that means to us or gaining or trying to get more influence and what that could mean. And then we, then we talked about the kind of on the personal level, what does that look like in your own life? Are you pursuing comfort or are you pursuing Christ? But then there's the thing of like... Um, there's the conversation about what the church does, quote, within its own walls when it comes to comfort and what people's expectations are. So setting aside your politics and setting aside the stuff that you leave at your house when you drive to church, what are your expectations when you walk through those doors, if that's what your church experience looks like? And <laughs> I'm quite certain I've done this because I'm a human, but I remember many conversations over the years where people expected to be comfortable, whether theologically comfortable or physically comfortable or relationally or emotionally comfortable, and that when that's not what they found, there was conflict. Hmm. And sometimes it's good to say, like, you know what? This, this, this church is emotionally abusive, and that's not okay. But then you have to have a conversation about how you define that. And if you define emotionally abusive as like, I heard something I didn't like that convicted me, eh, that's a problem. If it's like we're belittling people and getting them to think that they're pieces of crap, that's different, (laughs) you know, who are not deserving of love because that happens in churches too. Or that that you have a right to get upset when they change the color of the freaking carpet or... (laughs) When you end up in the Sunday school room that you don't like or, you know, all that stuff that people get up in arms about, I think is linked back to this conversation, too. Or they they don't play the kind of music you want or the pastor isn't as interesting as you would like him or her to be or whatever. And I, I think in the same way as we consume at home and we consume kind of out in the forum, as it were, we consume in the church, too. Yeah, that's that's an interesting conversation to be had because I've, I've had conversations pretty recently with, goodness, two or three different people about abusive churches, and, and they're out there, right? I mean, yeah. and, and so I think we titled the podcast pretty uh, accurately with, with Unbetween because there there's just such a, a fine line sometimes between what is a church that's pushing you and challenging you versus one that's mm-hmm. abusing you. And I think... I mean, if you're in a place where you're questioning if your church is abusive, and if it is, I would encourage you to find one that's that does challenge you, but also edifies you and builds you up and, and puts you in a place to be challenged and then to you know rise to those challenges, not for your own personal gain, but for, for the gain of the kingdom. But two quick, easy ways that, and I say that this is not like textbook, this is just my thought process. If you're wondering if your church is abusive, if there's a lack of accountability and an excess of manipulative behaviors, it's probably not a good place for you to be, um, yeah. I, I would say. And I, I mean, I've heard from from a few people who are in, in positions like that. And it's tough to know what to do because on, on one hand, it's, well, if I leave, then then what? You know, am I leaving others in this? Am I giving up too quickly? Mm-hmm. We've said it before, and I'm no poster child for it. 
there's no substitute for keeping in step with the spirit. And sometimes he wants you to stay places that don't make any sense on paper. Mm-hmm. And he wants you to leave places that look really good, whatever places are, whether it's church or work or whatever. Yeah. It's not always easy to figure out what you're, how you're supposed to respond. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be right to our whole point. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not pursuing comfort, you know, just for the sake of being comfortable. Yeah. It came up on maybe the last podcast, and I think I, I shared that real on Instagram talking about it. But I think a lot of times we just get lazy in the pursuit of comfort. And and I clarified on that Instagram reel if no one saw it. Like when I say lazy, I don't mean there's a bunch of people just laying on their couches all day. I, I think in our pursuit of worldly things, materialistic things, we work very hard toward a whole lot of things, but maybe let things of Christ and things as followers of, of Christ that we're supposed to be doing fall to the wayside. So we're laying on a spiritual couch, maybe in some weird <laughs> reverence. That's but, good. I like, you that. know, <laughs> and, and just kicking back with, with a cup of coffee while there are a lot of things in this world going on that need followers of Christ involved in them, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily screaming at others, but in place to, to have tough conversations to just be okay with a lack of comfort. Yeah. My wife is a nurse and she's been a nurse for almost 15 years now. And if you're in any kind of position where for work you care for people, that is, uh, it's a heavy burden to bear a lot of the time. Hmm. And that you are signing up for something that you know on the front end is going to hurt and it's going to be hard. It just is. There's not an easy way to do that with integrity. And so uh, I've remarked to her before that the work is hard enough without the job being hard, too, because, <laughs> you know, because like we're all here to do this thing. We know it's really hard. And then, you know, people being people, they make bad decisions and you have folks slacking off and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but but it's like you mentioned having Christians in difficult, uncomfortable positions and knowing that, yeah, I'm supposed to be here and it's supposed to be this way. Mm-hmm. Whereas tying back to that whole prosperity gospel thing you mentioned that in, in that theology, if things are uncomfortable, then that means that something is wrong. And either you need oh, yeah. to move or God's not happy with you or something like that. And we affirm, because the Bible does over and over and over again, that you know Jesus said, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome your trouble. Mm-hmm. And that your trouble doesn't have to define you. And that I think this is maybe a different way of us trying to have victory over evil by totally removing any semblance of interaction with evil from our experience and from our lives that we don't we take discomfort as a sign that something needs to change not as something that not as a sign that we need to learn how to respond better Hmm. and thinking too about being a disciple to jesus our rabbi is an apprenticeship and an apprentice by definition then does not know everything and has to go through a difficult process of sweat, blood, sweat, and tears, and difficult learning that you emerge from, but, but you don't really. It's not like it ever stops, but <laughs> right. uh, you, you've signed up for a lifelong apprenticeship, and so the learning curve is going to be high. And, you know, the if you take the sword analogy, you sharpen a sword by rubbing it on a rock, and yeah. pieces of it come off. That's how it gets sharper. That's uncomfortable. It's a brutal for, process. It is, and I, I think... In creating a faith of convenience and comfort, we seek to have all the good that we want from our Christian life 
and kind of leave all the rest of that aside. And that's attractive. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that? Oh, yeah. And we, we've talked about it on an earlier podcast. I don't remember when, but just the the idea of that iron sharpens iron and, and what that looks like. It's it's not a comfortable process, but, you know, you, you've got to be in community. To your point, you've always got to be learning. I mean, the, the person I am today, though not who I hope to be forever, right, but it has been a, a countless process of learning through God's word, through through the spirit. You know, our pastor uh, was, was talking last night and I heard him say something, you know, the often we confuse the the Trinity for God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and it, it will guide you and in, in, in will speak to you and will make you uncomfortable. Uh, there's that, that word again, uncomfortable. But And so it's been this process of many things as well as others coming alongside me in hard times. But the podcast we had earlier talked about how we sometimes oversimplify that verse uh, and use it for men's ministry get-togethers that are, you know, essentially cookouts with five minutes of prayer. And while that's a great thing to build community and to get to know each other, that's not what it means. Mm. It, it's more than that. And it's it's going to battle, though it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It is it is living together in a way that though, yes, we live in a a world that may make it harder in some ways to uh, feel like you're able to raise your kids in a noble way and teach them things. The call is still the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change. And it just means you've got to invest more. And there's even more of a reason for us to not kick back on the couch and chill when it comes to things uh, of spiritual nature of, as a follower of Christ. Like, we got to give it more. A, a bunch of times in Israel's history, in Exodus in particular, God will lay out, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I expect of you. Here's what's going to happen if you do what I ask, and here's what's going to happen if you don't. And repeatedly, his people are like, yep, we'll do it. And then the very next sentence is them not doing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need the reminder of what we signed up for. Yeah. Sometimes we need the reminder that in this world you will have trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's not a sign you're doing something wrong. That's a sign that you're in this world. Yep. It's that's just part of it. And the more we try to remove ourselves from where the trouble is, the more trouble there's going to be for one. But then also the less we'll be able to keep in step with the spirit to respond to it. Yeah. I think what we're most afraid of, like the the reason that we've kind of pushed the Holy Spirit to the side is he's the one that asks you to do things that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. and leads you to places that you don't want to go. And so I would just soon, you know, like in, the particular denomination I grew up in, the Holy Spirit did not figure much at all in the conversation. Yeah, uh, it was you were not expected to talk or listen to the Holy Spirit. Really, you might get like some vague nudge, but the idea that God would actually talk to you was terrifying. Yeah, and so you know we <laughs> invent ways of looking around that and not expecting that and saying that that's something that used to happen but doesn't happen anymore so that we were not accountable when the spirit comes nudging Hmm. so that we could continue and to quote Frank Peretti, God was expected to fill his pew and follow the order of service, just like everyone else. And that nothing was ever expected to happen. And if that's what church is like, what are the rest of our lives like when it comes to the spirits leading then? And you do that for very long, you make a very good habit of it. Yeah. And, you never expect your comfort to be disturbed. Yeah, and I, and I think, goodness, I think that brings up a good question that we all ought, ought to ask ourselves from time to time. What does it really look like to be a follower of Christ? Hmm. Um, 
we use that so easily. I even did earlier when I was saying, you know, that's how we should identify. But and what does that really mean? And and kind of back to the surrender thing. You know, in Matthew, it talks about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. If I'm going to surrender, whatever that yes is, shouldn't change so easily just because times get tough. Now, hmm. hopefully you have a, a church and a people around you to help sharpen and structure and, you know, to, to push you forward in that. But there, there's no part about being a follower of Christ that should resemble cruise control, right? You don't click it on and just coast. It's mm-hmm. It's ups and downs and... Not always pretty, but if that's what we're called to be, I don't even know how to end that. If that's what we're called to be, you better do it, right? Well, to quote Peter, where else can we go? Where else can we go? Yep. All right. Well, that is going to be it for episode 22 of the Unbetween podcast. As always, thank you so much for joining, for listening, for being a part of what we're doing. If you find this in any way meaningful or valuable, or even if you don't, we would love to hear that feedback from you. Look us up on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us by searching Unbetween Podcast. We're also on Twitter. If you search at Unbetween Pod, you will find us. So yeah, again, thank you, and we'll look forward to seeing you all in the next one.